welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. This is the audio report uh, 24. And uh, so my name is Daniel Linhares with Iowa State. Hello, my name is Giovanni Trevisan with Iowa State. Hello, my name is Edison from Iowa State. And we do have a special guest today, uh, Dr. Rebecca Robbins from Seaboard joining us to, to help with the, with the discussion. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Thanks for joining us, taking time for this uh, uh, this discussion. So, reminding everybody, we're going to start with the domestic disease monitoring report, which is about detection of, of uh, pathogens by PCR. And uh, the, the first page, as u- usual, uh, is the page that reports first RNA detection by, by PCR. And long story short here, Giovanni, from all the plots, all the information, it's, uh, it's that the first activity measured by the percentage of cases testing positive by PCR is really uh, going down. And it's actually the most recent week here, it's uh, below the expected for this time of the year. So it's really uh, relatively low first activity as compared to previous, previous years in the same kind of the, the same time of previous years, right? That's correct. And when you look for this decrease in detection of PERS virus during January, the first thing that comes in mind is that lower number of submissions happening during this period of time uh, contribute to that. But this is not the case. We have 6,300 submissions in December, whereas in January we have 6,500 submissions. So we had more uh, submissions that were tested for PERS virus and we detect less so seems like we have, have lower activity of the virus in the field. When we look specifically for the adult South Farm category, the number of cases tested during January was pretty close to 700 every week and in the last four weeks the percentage of positive cases is like a trend to decrease this uh, positivity uh, within this age category. And when we look for the states that we monitor the detection of this agent, we did not see any signals across all the states in the U.S. Okay, and uh, so relatively low uh, uh, PERS activity, and when we compare uh, data reported by the Morrison's Swine Health Monitoring Program, the MSHIM program, uh, looking at the number of herds, breeding herds that reported outbreaks, it was an average of eight, nine, ten herds per week from between November and December, right? And more recently, here in January, it's just an average of just uh, three herds reporting outbreaks. So, so those two independent uh, projects they are pointing to the same direction of a of a relatively low pers activity, and so that brings to the question. Uh, uh, why is that any speculation on why is that and for that type of question that's why we have the advisory council uh, that brings perspectives from from the field and uh, today we have the uh, privilege to have uh, Dr. Rebecca Robbins here with us so we're gonna throw that on you Rebecca why, why, why do you think that uh, why is PERS activity relatively low uh, looking at the VDL data as well as the MSHIMP data pointing to the same direction there What's going on? Yeah, so 
when I look at the, like you said, the comparison between the the SHIMP report and the um, SDRS report, uh, we would have had a, a, maybe a little steeper line there um, earlier this PERS season um, than previous PERS seasons. And so, you know, we probably had um, some farms break just a little bit earlier in the year. Um, also, I think we've, uh, as an industry, we've continued to put an extreme amount of focus on uh, getting our herd um, pathogen free mm -hmm. or at, um, at least maintaining, um, you know, freedom from disease outbreaks for extended periods of time with implementing a lot of uh, great technology um, that's been brought to us. Um, this year, we've we've focused a lot on um, biosecurity and biocontainment, uh, with a lot of activities around, um, you know, disease management. You know, uh, the industry being asked to put together secure pork supply plans, really look at their biosecurity and biocontainment um, during the func the ASF functional exercise earlier this year. You know, all of those things are different than, um, you know, I think we saw. Uh, the same um, improvements after PED where we put a lot of emphasis mm -hmm. on hygiene and biosecurity, we saw a lot of our endemic diseases um, go down. Uh, things like we, you know, we went for a period where we didn't have any PGE in our growing pig herd. Um, and uh, so those things sometimes are, are linked together. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we're seeing uh, this year. Um, and it was just a, a lot of uh, improvements, continued um, improvements and focus of the industry uh, to, to really maintain high health. Yeah, so that makes a lot of, a lot of sense that if we improve biosecurity, pathogen activity goes down and as you said it's not only PERS right it's it's uh, it, it, it's it's something it's a good strategy that will have effect on on many other pathogens which is a great transition here to this to this report because the second page and let's move to the go ahead and move to the second page of the report which is about detection of enteric coronaviruses by PCR and we see uh, uh, that the, the pathogen activity here is also uh, within the expected uh, uh, per, uh, the expected levels for this time of the year. So it's it's not up, right? It's uh, it's slightly uh, lower than w the same time of previous years, but following the the forecasted line here. So looking closer to the data here. Uh, it may be that for for PD there's a slight increase for for cell farm detection, but overall PD uh, corona Delta coronavirus and TG they are they are all overall looking at the, all all sample types they are all uh, relatively low here and within the expected peer, uh, boundaries, right, uh, Giovanni? Yeah, that's correct. And if you look for the number of submissions that were tested for these agents, we did increase the number in January and decrease the detection. With uh, PED, we see some change in the way for adult cell farms with a small increase in the percentage of positive submissions. And that was basically detected in Minnesota and North Carolina. And with Delta coronavirus, it's pretty much going now. And what the advisory council uh, 
supplied us with information is that more testing for monitoring purpose have been done for this agent in the recent months. Yeah, so, uh, and, and so that's another question for, for Rebecca. Uh, so, so some reported that they're monitoring more closely some of those pathogens. And from your perspective, res perspective Rebecca, how, how, how do you see the role of, of uh, disease monitoring or surveillance for specifically for enteric coronaviruses in, a, in your system, your world? Yeah, definitely um, we have uh, put more focus on monitoring. And it, like you said, um, it's not just for our uh, um, enteric coronaviruses, but it's for all of our um, endemic pathogens. Mm -hmm. um, and we're focusing on our growing pig herd now. Uh, the growing pig herd has a huge footprint, and we've certainly identified it as um, a, a potential reservoir where these viruses can kind of sit and hang out and be maintained. Um, and so, again, going back to this concept of, you know, biocontainment, well, we've got to know um, where we've got diseases so we can keep them from spreading and then where we need to put our resources to try to get rid of them. So, yeah, for this, uh, we've we've increased our monitoring substantially um, over the past six months and it has been uh, in our growing pig herd. Yeah, great perspective. And so go going back to what you just said, people talk a lot about biosecurity and uh, you're talking about biocontainment. And so great point that, you know, it's, uh, it's not only about protecting those herds, but w what you do with those herds that uh, are known to be infected, right? You wanna you you wanna restrict virus movement from those herds, not only between herd but within herd too, right? If you you have a few rooms that are affected, infected, and th towards the end of elimination, you will have multiple zones in the farm, some with virus and some without. So implementing a biocontainment both within herds and between herds, that's a that that's a a, a great strategy to implement, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the one thing about monitoring and specifically trying to monitor in the growing pig herd is that there it's oftentimes that, you know, the disease, especially something like um, PED, may not be as dramatic of a presentation. Um, and so farm staff, I mean, it's possible that they see a, um, a limit, you know, a, a a slight increase in scours and um, may not pursue, um, you know, contacting a veterinarian or pursue um, uh, sampling because, you know, they've, they've had experience with it before, you know, things like, you know, a feed scour or they've, you know, recently dealt with E. coli or salmonella. And so, you know, and, and it could actually be you know, one of our enteric coronaviruses. It, it could be a number of pathogens. And so that's why, again, we, we've, we've found the value in monitoring, you know, implementing monitoring of our growing pig herd uh, because, again, um, we can't just rely on um, the di uh, diagnostic samples to come in to characterize the health status. We, we had to invest in some active monitoring as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, great. That uh, so sometimes we hear now for PED you can trust your eyes. If if there is PED activity, you will see diarrhea. You will see clinical signs. But what you're saying is that uh, I'm not sure. Depending on the situation, especially if you have some underlying immunity there, you you may not see. So you you gotta really monitor to to double check if the status that you are perceiving it really matches with the virus spread and. And 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 a pathogen load, right? Yeah, good good perspective. <laughs> All right. Anything else on the either on the, go back to the first page or the enteric coronaviruses page? All right. So let's move forward. Move forward to the mycoplasma page. It's still talking about detection by PCR. So it's it's still the domestic disease monitoring report. And so in this page here, uh, similar to the previous, the, the other two pages, my, the level of mycoplasma detection measured here in the percentage of uh, cases positive by, by PCR, uh, it's really following the forecast uh, model here, Giovanni, the number of, the, the actual number of tests, te uh, samples testing positive is really, really following the, the forecast line. So. Uh, what else did you have to report from this page? That's correct. The, the number is following the trends. And we see, uh, if you compare the overall detection of mycoplasma during 2019 and compared with previous years, that was uh, above the, the detection that we observed prior mm -hmm. years. But that was a reminder for uh, from our advisory council that Higher detection of mycoplasma hemoni is also associated with better sampling techniques that were developed and implemented in the recent uh, years in the field. So it's a reflection of better uh, way to find the agent. That doesn't mean that we have more activity of the agent in those herds. May go also go back to what Rebecca was referring before that. Uh, uh, some people like herself are just monitoring more more closely, right? Some some of those those populations that you were assumed to be uh, whatever the status was, just using more monitoring to to double check. And now, if you're monitoring with a more sensitive method, you're gonna find more, right? All right. So now moving to the disease diagnosis report and just. Uh, to remind here the, the audience, this page is about diagnosis. It's beyond just detection by PCR. It's This page is about reporting uh, diseases as concluded uh, by a, a trained diagnostician after looking and analyzing the tissue cases, right? Looking at histopathology and other data points. And so what the page summarizes is, is the detection of different pathogens here associated with respiratory disease, digestive disease, nervous disease, so on and so forth. And uh, we do run algorithms to detect significant increases of uh, uh, specific uh, uh, pathogens or, or syndromes. Uh, but at this period of the year, there was no uh, significant increase in any of the pathogens or syndromes. So everything falling within the expected, which is aligned with the other previous pages of the, of the report. Any further comment on here, Giovanni, Edison? No, I don't have any. And it's exactly as you say, we don't see any signal for any agent right now on the diagnosis report. All right, so that has been, uh, again, a, a relatively quiet 
time of the year, right? It's uh, still looking at the data here from January, which is kind of look, looking at the previous year's uh, peak peak in terms of disease detection and, and pathogen detection, but for reasons, perhaps some of those reasons why we've uh, been discussing here, it has been um, in the good good side of the curve, right? In the lower side of, of uh, detection of diseases and, and pathogens. And that covers pretty much all the information we have for today. Any closing uh, comments, Rebecca? As a practitioner, I just, you know, I can't um, say how excited I am to see that uh, we haven't had any surprises here uh, this month um, that, you know, we're actually seeing some improvement, um, some decline in mm -hmm. uh, number of positive cases for some of our most important and costly endemic diseases. Uh, the only other thing, you know, I know a lot of my colleagues um, are listening. Make sure we're capturing, um, you know, our, our age and phase information on our submissions. It did concern me a little that um, on the mycoplasma, we had a, an increased number of unknown. Um, over the past, uh, you know, we've seen a trend in, in an increase in number of, of uh, cases that haven't identified their age and phase. And that's uh, the reason I bring that up is it's so critical um, for for the epidemiologist to try to help us and identify trends, um, you know, we need and and things that were would not be expected. Um, you know that starts with identifying you know the population that uh, they're detected in. So just remember to you know good submission technique and, and note either the age and phase of the animals uh, you're submitting samples from. Yeah, thanks for that reminder. Because um, we, what we do here from the EPI side is we aggregate this data. So the more complete the data is, the more we can go back, uh, give back to the industry in terms of uh, uh, aggregated analysis and better report macro epidemiological aspects of pathogen detection over, like you said, time, specimen, age group, all the kind of stuff. And so, if we have misinformation, we do we we don't we don't get to that level of detail, right? Mm -hmm. So, thank you very much. That's all we had for today, and uh, we yeah. will be back with report uh, twenty-five next month. Thank you. Thank you.